Barcelona is nil-nil with Lyon. And gun to my head, Barcelona wins, but would not be surprised. What if I surprised. came over there with a gun? What, 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 yeah, what would you say? When Barcelona. Barcelona wins. <laughs> that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if the trigger gets pulled. Hey, um, hey, hey, if I came over there with a gun, that would make this soccer talk a lot more exciting for me. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Back here on the Yak Sports Podcast, your Augusta County Sports Podcast. We're here and we're going to focus a lot on the region playoffs that wrapped up last week. And now we have five teams, six different sports represented in the state tournament. As we still have, we have results today on girls' tennis, which adjusts uh, our notes here. But we are here to talk some high school sports and then get into what else we like to talk about. Joe Deck is with me. Like always, and Joe, um, we had we've had a good spring season. A lot of teams went deep into the playoffs. We we lost about seven, eight teams last week, but we still have some teams alive. Yeah, we do. Um, and you know, starting off, we lost Stewart's draft. Well, Stewart, we didn't lose Stewart's draft. They lost uh, in their region championship to George Mason. They have to go to Maggie Walker. We'll talk and about the girls' it. soccer. Yeah, yeah, that's Stewart's draft girls' soccer. We'll talk about another soccer team here in a minute. That's going to Maggie Walker. Uh, Stewart's Draft Baseball, sticking with Stewart's Draft, they won the region. Like I told you, they were a yeah, dark we, horse to do it. I doubted them. I saw, you know, I was um, – the game against Riverheads a couple weeks ago for the in the Shenandoah District Championship, I believe. Um, they didn't look like a team that I thought could beat Page County from what I knew about Page County. They were throwing the ball around. Um, and in high school baseball, I just feel like – if you're really throwing the ball around in the field, you're not going to do as well. So I, I was doubting them. I, I was happy that they were playing deep. I was happy when they qualified for states, but I, I didn't think they had enough to get over Page. They took it to Page nine to four. They put a lot of runs up, took care of business. So congratulations to them. I'm happy. I'm happy I was wrong on that. Um, but yeah, they they I think are peaking at the right time, like some of these other teams. So uh, good for Stewart. They get a home baseball game in the state playoffs this week tonight or tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Yeah, Nandua coming to them. So good luck to Stewart's draft. Uh, just yeah. uh, another comment on baseball. If I was a Page County fan, I'd be really alarmed. You didn't lose any oh, games yeah. until it's the end of the year, good. and now the losses are piling up. That's a team that's looking like an early exit in the States. They're losing every time they can afford to. That's not a great thing, and you can't afford to anymore, and you're going to be facing the toughest competition you've had all year. Um, so, yeah, they, they're they going to have a tough time making it through these next three games to win a state championship because they haven't won three straight since April. Yeah, the regular season. Yeah. Um, Riverheads baseball, they won the region over William Campbell in a close game, 10-8. to eight. They get to be home against Colonial Beach. So good luck to the Riverheads Gladiators baseball uh, team. I plan to be there, so next week I can talk to that. And, uh, and uh, I don't know what good that will do for the rest of the playoffs here, but uh, – yeah, I'm looking forward to that baseball game tomorrow. Plus, the weather's supposed to be like 75. It's going to be perfect. Riverhead softball, they won 10-1 to against Rappahannock. Now they get to host Northumberland. And those games will be going on right next to each other up there in Greenville. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye on both of those. Riverheads, girls tennis, they won their state semi 5 nothing over Windsor. They played but Rappahannock, today- but I believe that was today. Yeah, they fell today to Rappahannock. So the team for Riverheads, they're done for the girls. And that was a great run. State semifinals is when they go down. That's an incredible run. Uh, But tennis gets moving ahead a little early so they can still award those single and doubles uh, champions. Uh, The two uh, girls playing 
tennis in the doubles for Riverheads is Jessica Milo and Lauren Reese, and they play a duo from Rappahannock on, uh, I believe, Friday. Yes, Friday afternoon. Uh, so that'll be that'll be good for them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Region D didn't even provide a, um, and we'll get on this topic in a little bit. Uh, even provide a girls double uh, doubles pairing. So the Region C champions just sitting there waiting on uh, on Riverheads and has been. They they didn't even have to play a semifinal. So uh, it's tough that it gets uneven there, and we'll talk to that point a little bit more. But hey, nonetheless, Riverheads can be playing for a state championship with their uh, girls tennis duo. Yep. Now let's bounce back to soccer for a second. Ari Lee boys, they lost a heartbreaker to George Mason 1-0 as well. Much like the Stewart Straff girls, they will also be going to Maggie Walker to start their state run. So just like last week where there was a doubleheader at George Mason with Stewart Straff girls soccer and Lee boys soccer, they're going to have a doubleheader at Maggie Walker now. Um, and it's funny how a lot of these scores out of George Mason games have mirrored. Uh, I know the boys and girls from Wilson both lost, I believe, 9 nothing. That's what I uh, had information for. So um, it's just interesting how George Mason, both of their programs just play at a high level and are similarly dominant. And uh, so both of them knocked off our local teams last week, the girls and the boys, the girls from draft, the boys from Lee. And so they'll both go to Maggie Walker. And Maggie Walker is another one of these spring sport dominant schools, really good at soccer, really good at uh, tennis, uh, a lot of sports track. So um, it's going to be tough for both Stewart Straff girls and the Lee boys. And um, they're, it's, it's, this is the hardest game they have in the next two games. If they get past this game, whoever they get from C or D, I don't see as big of a challenge as is Maggie Walker. And then you would have to assume George Mason's going to do what they have to do to be sitting there in that state championship game again. So looking back to the last game for Lee, you know, they hadn't lost um, all year. So they they just lost one nothing to George Mason. They dominated time of possession. They dominated um, – pass attempts and uh, streaks of passes and possession and um, shots on target um, uh, shots on goal. And it just, it was, if you look at the stats that I have in front of me, you would have think Lee controlled this game, but they give up a set piece to George Mason and then they can never really get it going. And what I take away from that is they're going to have to start the next game that they play. If they're able to get back to George Mason, they got to know George Mason saw what beat them. And this is a team that Lee has beat the previous two seasons. So they know they can beat them. You've got to go in that game with the adjustments that Lee made that afforded them some shot opportunities late in that game. They're going to have to have those adjustments early. And I'll tell you, Lee's missing one of their best players. Um, and the name is escaping me at the moment. Cooper, I think, or Cullen. Um, one of those two names. And I think the other one is also a player on the team. But the player that's hurt, that plays in the middle of the field. And it's Carson, uh, isn't it? Or Carson. See, another C name. That's uh, the sign of the times, right? So Carson being out really hurts them. So uh, I apologize to Carson's mom if she's listening. Uh, so, uh, hey, they miss you. And it's it was proven on the field. And so the, initially that game started and, and things just maybe good early, but then it kind of sh- shifted back George Mason's way. Then after the score, there was some adjustments or in relation to that score that allowed Lee to get more shots on goal, get some on target. Stenzel had a shot or two down the stretch that really could have, you know, tied up that game just didn't happen. And uh, you're just going to have to start the next time you face George Mason with those adjustments in place, 
or be one step ahead of them. And it's kind of the Belichick attitude. Be one step ahead of the change. So you, you got to realize what they saw in you that worked and be able to adjust to that. And you also have to be able to limit what they're trying to do. And yeah, yeah, they're not they're not really aiming for owning time of possession. You know, they're fine with the attacks that they get. So you got to have you're going to have to make them uncomfortable and cut off those attacks. And that's them sending that ball into the corner. They're going to have to cut it off at midfield and really limit their ability to get that ball off. So that means putting guys in traffic at midfield instead of giving them an opportunity to get a clean ball up the side of the field. Yeah, I, I agree. You're not saying things that are wrong. Um, and, and I agree with your stance from the fact that Stewart's draft and Artie Lee that the Maggie Walker game is their toughest game. Uh, Until they face George Mason again. Yeah, C&D sure. is just not going to produce. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no offense directly to C or D teams. I'm not saying anybody directly. But uh, collectively, you're not producing the teams that it'll take to beat George Mason or Lehigh in my mind. Yeah, and if they or win Maggie Walker. the semifinals <laughs> and finals both uh, being held at Radford this season, so... Semifinals I do appreciate would be it used Friday and final Saturday. And that's going into C and D territory. So, you know, maybe a little advantage to them, uh, less travel Not or really. something. Lee's, Lee's been there before. They're going to be ready if they're able to get past Maggie Walker. Maggie Walker's been there before you. George Mason's been there before. I'm not worried for any of these AB teams to go down and play a CD team. Um, I, I will say I do like, I think in past years, I think last year even, the A and B teams played each other again in the state semifinal. So it really made that state final anticlimactic and it was a, a bigger butt whooping than the semifinal was. So I'm glad it got adjusted there and it, it seems like it just kind of set up so maybe Lee or Maggie Walker could play George Mason again. And, and that's what the state's going to get. And that makes for a better final. I think it's more representative of the two best teams in the state. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins that Lee, Maggie Walker. I'm not, I'm not trying to push away Maggie Walker. Lee has our team. We're wanting them to go all the way. We'll know Tuesday night if it's anything to talk about or not. Uh, but assuming they get to play George Mason again, they have to learn those lessons that they saw last week and and adjust to them early and not not wait until side, inside the game to realize what they're trying to force on you. Yeah, no, go ahead. Push them away. <laughs> How about the track teams? I want to talk about them. Really impressive. Friday night, we, well, we they battled rain at all the state tournaments on Friday night, but the three uh, um, class three was able to get more done than the class two or one. Cause they really got much, much of anything done, but forts four by 800 team of Harlow smoker Corbin and Jones win the state title. I believe they finished sixth or seventh a year ago. And they, they came back and it was a similar team uh, that I think Christiansburg was the favorite to win that they had low times. I think they'd won it the year before and Fort went out and took it, and the video on Twitter of Jones starting from behind in that fourth leg and passing them and winning it was just a really enjoyable video. One of those—that's what Twitter's for—is to see those those kind of moments. It was happy to see our local team uh, overcome there. They they qualify for nationals now. They uh, their time was just outside, but um, I guess whatever committees decided what they needed to do, they get to go to nationals. So uh, they do finish in Virginia going out on top, but they'll get a chance to compete at the national level, and that's an honor in itself. You know, I I don't know what will happen there. I don't know what you're projecting at nationals, but just to go to nationals is a feat that you'll never, never forget. And think of all these other sports we talk about, football and baseball and soccer. There's no real national opportunity for these teams that we're talking about. That's awesome that these four boys get to go and uh, run at nationals. 
Yeah, and we, you know, like you said, congratulations to them. We want to wish them the best. And, and that's uh, really Ford's shining moment in the spring sports, you know, mm-hmm. where they had a good Friday night in some uh, diamond sports a, a week or two ago. Um, their soccer didn't really pan out. The tennis didn't really pan out. So that, that track team really put Fort on the map in the spring. And so congratulations to them. Also on the, uh, on the track on Saturday, a lot of the two a and one a, they got going uh, and no team from here really got near the top or really had a um, close shot at winning a state title, but some individuals did get state titles. Lee's Oliver Wilson cook won his second straight state title in the 3,200 meter. So congratulations to him. He's a heck of a runner. Um, I think I've seen him running up and down Coulter street every time I'm driving through town after school, I believe he runs cross cross country too. And it, those guys are always out there running. And uh, I remember seeing his name in the paper a year ago and, so I've noticed him running around town. So congratulations to him. Two straight t- state titles, an individual. That's super. Uh, and then Wilson Memorial's Paige Miller, she got the 300 meter and brought a state title home to Wilson Memorial. And that was a team, I believe they won the team's uh, track last year. So uh, she was carrying on. She did her part. And, uh, and and the whole team was battling. I don't mean to say it that way. But she, she brought home her state title. So congratulations to her. And it was a nice little collection there of a couple individual state titles from our area. Yeah, it's always nice to see state championships come. And it's, you know, team sports is a team thing. But when we talk about sports like track or tennis, I mean, those are at a certain level, very individual, unless you know you're talking doubles tennis and then you got a partner too. But it's really hard. And I guess something that not everyone can appreciate in the sense that when we're talking about teams, you know, we're talking about what? 60 schools, each classification or something like that. Right around there. Yep. So that's 60 teams if each high school puts out a team in that sport. Individuals, you are talking about even more when it comes to something like tennis. I mean, you are for most regions. Now, I got, you touched on the one didn't even send a team, um, which I think is sad. Um, but yeah. For the we'll most part, right you're that, looking like, you're looking at individuals going up against multiple people from each school. So one, they have to beat everybody at their school. Then they have to beat everybody at the other schools. And, you know, my hats go off to these young men and women at these sports that do this on an individual level because that is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, it's awesome. And and honestly, though, kind of uh, conversely to your point there, the track teams that do – a lot of the local track teams that I've known to win state titles, there has been a team – mindset to their actions where it's there's a lot of sacrifice and and getting the people to where they can do what's best for the team and get numbers on the board so you know it's kind of like wrestling as well you know it's hey maybe i'm a natural 160 but so is this other guy that's real good and if i you know put off you know take off eight pounds or put on 10 pounds i can wrestle this and and maybe i don't you know get second in the state but maybe i get third in the state and really balance out my team. And that happens in track too, where you can only, you know, you only have so many events, so much time that you can do things, you know, you sacrifice running the the 200 just so you can do the, you know, the, the triple jump or something like that. You know, there's these sacrifices teams make to get all the talent to have an opportunity to uh, put points on the board. So I appreciate when I hear those stories, but you know, sometimes when you just, when you have three people that are going to win state titles, that'll jump you up into a state title as well. So it's interesting to see how that goes. Um, you know, 
the team that acts more like a team is going to have a better chance as a team. So uh, that's my point there. But I do want to talk about more. We've kind of hit on it twice with this Region 1D. And uh, they're just not putting athletes out there. And I really was unaware of that uh, to a point. I knew it's a smaller region. I knew it had some of the smaller schools in the state. But, you know, they're not even putting, um, you know, one team uh, for – girls soccer coming out of region one D. So that means the third place region C team gets to go in to the state playoffs. The boys only have two teams competing boys soccer in the um, region playoffs there. So they both automatically qualified for state. And so it really makes, turns it into is really both those teams automatically better than the third or fourth best team coming out of region a or B, especially in soccer. I, I would make that argument really quick and so that would make you argue argue that maybe the region system in um, the class A isn't working as well, especially when it's highlighted in the spring sports where these schools, you know, there's schools as small as 188 people, 176 people. I get it. That's tough to field a bunch of different teams, to have enough girls in the school to cover the girls' soccer teams, to have enough boys in the school to get to, you know, a full track team. I get it. That's hard. But I'm surprised, like, the teams that are there, they're not even necessarily these teams that are 400 schools. So, like, even some of these schools that are 350 and up aren't even feeling teams. And that's tough. I mean, that I, I got to wonder what's going on down there. What's the mindset down there that's – I mean, if you have – 350 kids in school, you should at least be putting a, a team out there. So it really surprises me. It, it just does surprise me. And I think it's sad. So I don't think they're not fixing it in this cycle. I know that they've already established the next four years of cycle, but that is something to look ahead forward. Cause it, what good is it really doing? If, if half of the region, three quarters of the region aren't even producing teams, even more than that, it's just, it's, it's disappointing. And I, I feel like it hurts the rest of the region. So maybe, uh, you modify it once the seasons gets going, maybe you, you look at where those teams can slide in or you make it make the playoffs a different format than just the region format that you have applied to the rest of the state. And it works well throughout the state in a lot of different ways. It's not working down there. As I say, I think class a just needs to have its own set of rules. Class a, I, I'm not, they're all piled up in pretty much the same areas too. So I think class a, uh, you could do still like the two region thing that they used to do for everybody. I think that would still yeah, work in I, class I, A. I don't think anyone has to travel all that much. I know Riverheads might, their traveling might increase. Um, but they're not going to complain. That, I was going to say, I don't think anyone at Riverheads is going to complain it. about it. Um, people at Riverheads, even in football, they don't like how it is now um, because they don't. Yeah. They you were mentioning, you know, I, they're still fielding teams in football, but at, at what point do you look at Stonewall? And then, I mean, the team Stonewall played was 0-10, too, in the first round of yeah, the football playoffs. Two 0-10 teams playing each other. It's terrible. And then you're getting you're getting on a normal track of you're facing Alta Vista, William Campbell over here. Now, Region B in football is throwing Sussex Central and another 7-5-7 team in there, and that will help football. But it's more than just Region B. It's more than – I mean, Riverheads is our tie to it with a single-A sport. So that's, that's, that is becomes our quickest focus. But I don't – I agree that the two region just do each side of the state, 16 teams or however many teams you want to set it as, and that will avoid your problem that I'm bringing up that, hey, maybe this third best team in Region B is better than that second best team in Region D, and that gets solved out with points or it gets solved out really quick in the playoffs. So I, I would agree where you're battling these regions that aren't even producing enough schools to have a competition – 
maybe you modify the rules for class one and that would affect riverheads but hey if that means they have to travel to grundy in the playoffs they're going to go to grundy and cheer yeah i agree all right so the high school season's coming to an end uh not really we're not fans of that here on the exports podcast we do appreciate uh all the young athletes that we get to cover all the time but we're going to shift our focus this summer to valley baseball league uh that focus shift starts today as we're going to have two interviews with uh waynesboro generals and stanton braves representatives that the 4d podcast was able to produce we're going to have a little 4d sports on yak sports here uh and uh joe did two great interviews there with those guys yeah, um, first one you're going to hear is going to be Steve Cox from the Stanton Braves. He's the GM with the Braves organization. And the second one you're going to hear is Tyler Hoffman. Same role, but with the Waynesboro Generals organization. Tyler Hoffman, a very familiar name in our area. You know, he's a local guy, and it's it's awesome to see him rising through the ranks and now, you know, managing over there, you know, <laughs> it, not just on the mound anymore. You know, he's putting a team together over in Waynesboro. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, Leland mentioned 40 sports. If I may plug my own thing here, um, that's a that we are going to focus on Stanton and Waynesboro primarily on this podcast yes. because those are the Augusta County teams. If you are interested about hearing what's going on more as a Valley League as a whole, um, 40 sports is where you're going to want to go. Um, again, we're on Podbean as well, so if you're subscribed to a Yak Sports on Podbean, which you absolutely should be, you can just hop over, subscribe to 40 sports as well. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. On the Apple and, iTunes and another and quick plug for their a great plug for your podcast. The two things I like the most: the focus on baseball is great, and you also get you know not just straightforward baseball talk. Like last year, you guys had the whole uniform um, analysis for Major League Baseball. I thought that was great. But then also, you guys have the best uh, interview ending in all of podcasts. I, I we would steal it for this podcast if we could. The what's your favorite Disney movie to close up an interview is my favorite question that I ever, every episode, I'm just waiting to hear that. I could care less what the interviews honestly say. I want to hear what their favorite Disney movie is and why. So uh, that's just, I, I love it. So listen to the 40 podcast, especially for that. Yeah. Steve Cox, you'll get that question. Tyler Hoffman, you won't. We asked Tyler Hoffman that last year. So we switch it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you grow, you know? <laughs> yeah. When we interview somebody for the second, third time, you know, we got to switch it up a little bit. Um, but uh, those those are coming up uh, next. And then Leland and I will break down the opening weekend for the Braves and the Generals. And we are back with the season previews here on 4D Sports of the various Valley League teams. Right now we have the GM of the Stanton Braves, Mr. Steve Cox, with us. Steve, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, and let's get started with um, just the basics. Let's talk about some of the Stanton Braves that fans will be seeing in the park this year. Yeah, well, uh, our kids will start coming in town tomorrow. Uh, um, I think we've got a good good group of kids coming. Some of the guys to really watch, I guess. Are, uh, we have a kid coming from Nova Southeastern in Florida, one of the real good D2 programs in the country, Duncan Pastore. Uh, he was a freshman of the year in the conference. He's an all-region, he maybe all-region team. He's a two-way player, 4-0 on the mound, hit leadoff for him, hit about 360 on the year, so... He'll be a really good player. Uh, he'll probably do both for us as well. We'll probably take it easy on him from as far as pitching standpoint goes early on in the season. Um, got another Division II kid from uh, Walsh University, Andrew Check, big left-hand hitter, another all-region player in Division II. Um, gets probably, I think, 17 home runs at Walsh this year, set a new school record. 
Uh, had a big year last year in summer league in the prospect league, which is another good summer league. Was an all league performer in that. He, you know, we're expecting him to do some big things. There's some small ballparks in the valley. Uh, ours is one of them. Uh, we're not as small as some, but power hitter like that should do really well. Uh, got a couple of JMU kids, Callaway Sigler. Um, was hurt early in the year for JMU, but as soon as he got cleared. Uh, healthy. He was in the starting lineup every day. He struggled some, but he's a kid that missed all his high school senior year with an injury. Then he gets to JMU and gets injured again. And uh, He's got a lot of talent, I think, once he gets to play every day and uh, just gets in the rhythm. He's got a chance to be a really good player. He's got some local ties. His grandfather lives in the in the area, in the Middlebrook area. His, his mom is a Riverheads graduate. Uh, so he's got some local ties there. We've got a pitcher from JMU, Liam Grubbs. He's got some uh, probably 15 to 20 innings pitched really well when he got the opportunity as a freshman. So those are some guys that are, you know I think will all have some pretty good years for us. So we're still tweaking the, the roster as we speak because we had some guys defecting just in the last 24 hours, several in the last week. So uh, we're, we're still putting it together, but we should be in pretty good shape by the time Friday gets here. All right, and you know, talking about it, it's been since 1999 since Stanton has won a Valley League title. I noticed you mentioned a lot of local flair and then some D2 guys as well. Uh, I know Charlottesville, that that year they won their first, they used a lot of D3 talent, so obviously not uh, impossible to win with D2 and D3 talent um, on the roster. Is that kind of the approach that you guys are thinking about taking in terms of um, trying to switch it up a little bit? Yeah, we're, we've gone to a few more Division two, D, uh, D2, D3 type kids, mainly because they get here on time and they seem to be, some of them seem to be a little hungrier than some of these other kids. Um, but a lot of it's just the fact that they'll get here on time to start the season, which we try to keep a good mix of, of Division one and Division two. Uh, it helps the profile of the league uh, in, the, in the eyes of scouts and and um, Major League Baseball, you know, they must, they have, they'd like to see a lot of Division One kids. And we run the numbers every year. Our league's about 60% Division One, 40% D2, D3, and, and JUCO, NAIA kids. So uh, we're, we're probably still uh, pretty close to that percentage, maybe a little more D1s. But, um, yeah, we, we're trying to find the best players that we can get in here and get some production out of. For the biggest part of the summer as possible. So uh, sometimes that's Division Two players. We uh, we had a kid last year who was a Division Two player from UNC Pembroke. He played really well for that for us. The season's over. He went to the Cape and he got signed, and now he's playing pro ball. You know, he got signed right out of the Cape uh, as a free agent. So uh, you know, there's good players everywhere. You just got to find them. All right, and I also wanted to ask, you know, you had to do a coaching search in the middle of the offseason right before the season started. Uh, talk about that process that went on this summer. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little unique. We, uh, uh, Coach Nyman, who coached with us last year, uh, we kind of had a multi-year type deal set up with him. Uh, we were expecting him to come back, but he also owns a big hitting facility uh, down in Florida where he lives. He's got a wife and two kids. That hitting facility's kind of blown up. It's doing really well. Uh, in fact, the summer league has moved into that area where his facility is. They're using his facility as a, you know, the official training facility for their league this summer. So it's just a situation from a 
business standpoint, he had to stay and take care of that. It didn't make much sense for him to leave. Uh, so when he decided he couldn't come back, we hired an assistant from last year, Lucas Ray, really good young coach. Um, did a really good job for us last summer. Um, and then just all of a sudden he decided he was getting out of, bas- uh, out of baseball totally. Uh, just left his JUCO team in the middle of the year. Got a real job, I guess you could say, getting married. Uh, so I'm sure that was part of it. Uh, but just decided, I guess, like he maybe just in time to talk to him. I'm assuming he probably felt like it was time to find a job that paid a little more money maybe because when you're working – as an assistant at a JUCO or some of the smaller levels, you're not getting rich, that's for sure. A lot of those are just part-time positions where you're making maybe ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. So, um, and Lucas uh, decided he was going to not come. And, uh, we'd already hired Tyree Blaylock to be our, one of the assistants for this summer. Um, and it just made sense to just go ahead and promote him to the head job. He played coached in the Cape last year with Mike Roberts up in Ketuit. Uh, and Roberts is a well-respected coach from North Carolina. And, and, and Tyree had good, uh, good recommendations that we checked out. Plus he knows the league a couple of years ago, he played for Charlottesville. Uh, so, uh, he knows how the league works. We thought that would be a big plus. And just another young coach who wants to, you know, get, get good summer on his resume and I think he'll do a real good job for us as far as going forward. All right. And, uh, you know, let's talk about some of the camps and field of dreams, community outreach stuff that the Stanton Braves are doing and how folks in the Stanton area can get involved. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we try to do as much in the community as we can. We will have two weeks of camps and, um, don't know the dates off the top of my head, but all that information's on, on our website, Stanton Braves baseball. Dot com. Um, we have two weeks of camps, ages six through twelve. They're always pretty well attended. Uh, they'll be conducted by our coaching staff, and the players will help with that. Um, we also have a field of dreams where you can come out and your team can run out on the field with the uh, with the Braves prior to the game and stand on the field for the national anthem. You just got to call ahead and, and book that. And you, if you want to book a party with that, there's options. You know, there's hot dog parties, pizza parties for the kids. And so it's pretty cool for them to run on the field with uh, with the players. You know, you get a T-ball team out there that's five or six years old. They, they're thinking of running out with major league guys. They don't know the difference yet. It's a big deal to them. So uh, all those things are good. We'll, we'll go to the library and uh, take part of their reading program again this summer for a day or two. We'll go out and read to the kids at the library and, of course, you know, after the games, our kids are always available to sign autographs, talk, you know, they'll take pictures with you. So, yeah, we're, uh, we like to be, the guy, we have to be involved in the community. Let's put it that way. We don't want to be, uh, we don't like to be, we have to be because it takes a community effort as far as you're selling sponsorships, advertising, uh, you know, the, the cost of running a team just keeps going up. And without the support of the community you know, from a fan standpoint coming out, you know, buying hot dogs at the games or supporting our camps or, you know, the businesses, you know, buying sponsorships to provide free tickets for fans and, you know, buying the billboards. Without all that, it'd be impossible to to uh, to run a Valley League team at the, the cost. As I said, you know, balls, bats, umpires, uniforms, it all adds up. It's a big, pretty big chunk of money each summer. So uh, it's a pretty big endeavor to pull this off every year, and we couldn't do it without the help of the community. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the great thing about the Valley League is seeing the community and the teams, you know, kind of come together and allow. I mean, you got 11 teams in the Valley League up and down and each area is kind of unique in itself. um, And that's pretty cool to see the the teams reaching out. But I want to get you out of here on some questions that we ask all of our interviews uh, to lighten up the mood at the end. Um, First one, what's your favorite Disney movie? My favorite Disney movie, probably, gosh, I haven't watched any in a while. Shrek, probably. I like the Shrek movies. All right. Okay. And uh, what is a song that you like, but you're afraid to admit to other people? I'm a big country music fan. I, I'm a Zach Brown fan. I like Chicken Fried. I, I can sing. That's one of the few songs I know that all the words to just about. So I, I like listening to that and singing along with that song. All right. Well, thank you again, Mr. Cox. We appreciate it, and best of luck to the Stanton Braves. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Continuing our season previews here on 4D Sports around the Valley League, we now have GM of the Waynesboro Generals, Tyler Hoffman. And Tyler, first off, thanks for joining us here on the 4D Sports podcast. Uh, let's talk about last year and really just the dominance that this organization has shown, uh, especially in the 21st century. It seems like the whole century. I know you've won three titles in the last 12 years. Um, you've been in the playoffs. Every, it seems like every year. Uh, and so just talk about that success and what that has done to this community and around this team. Well, you know, I think it's set up kind of a precedence for at least the fans. Um, and that's, you know, that's good. I mean, I guess it's better than the alternative. But, you know, those folks expect to win, and they, they kind of hold these guys to that standard. And, um, you know, sometimes more often than not, it seems like, you know, they'll let us know if, if we're not playing to their <laughs> standards. But, uh, but you know, again, that's that's a great standard to be at. Um, but every summer is a new summer, and um, we, we preach in our organization at least that, you know, you handle your business off the field and take care of things and be a good person. You know, the stuff, the stuff on the field will handle itself. And, um, you know, for us, it's been, it's, it's been great. It's been exciting. It's fun. It's, you know, obviously it's great to win, but even more important, we've been fortunate enough to develop a lot of really good players here. So I, I wanted to ask you another thing uh, with this team, and you've already touched on a little bit about what you tell your guys every year. Who are some of the guys that the fans will be clamoring and cheering for on the Waynesboro roster this season that you guys are excited about? Well, we just finished up a generals meet the um, meet the team night deal, and it was really exciting. We had a you know probably 300 folks at the ballpark, and kids were shagging, and um, you know I think they got a little taste of a couple of the guys and. Um, what they're you know capable of do is at least at the plate. Um, Santi Garcia, um, probably the first guy to mention, is a catcher from Alabama State. Uh, had a great season for them. Was all SWAC conference player, and uh, had a was Mink League MVP last summer, and um, hit a lot of home runs out there. And just again, you talk about being good people. That kid is an unbelievable person so far, and I think he's somebody you know that a lot of people are going to be able to connect with. Um, and then another kid behind the big not too far from um, played his high school baseball at um, Liberty Christian and uh, a catcher South Carolina was drafted in the 40th round last year and a uh, physical physical bat and played really well late for uh, for South Carolina and then 
Um, across the infield, we've got Joe Kinker, uh, who was a freshman, going to be a freshman All-American at Florida Gulf Coast, and um, another strong bat, kind of quarter infield, corner outfield type guy. And then in the outfield, um, Jackson Tate's another one that's um, signed at University of Alabama, a really strong athletic kid, um, ability to run. And I think it's, you know, we're going to be able to be athletic. We're going to be good up the middle. And uh, I think, you know, again, we're going to we're going to try to put up some runs and hopefully you know, wins us some ball games. Yeah, I mean, I know that's the goal every year. Um, I, I noticed you guys had some local guys, too. Um, just talk about some of the local kids that you guys were able to recruit and bring to the Generals. Sure. Uh, well, from an arm side, Stuart Barrett um, played at Miller School and uh, is a George Mason, big, tall, lanky kid, and um, won them a state title last year. And uh, he's, you know, an impressive arm, threw a fair amount of innings for George Mason this year, and it's probably going to be a weekend guy for them in the future, if not next year. Um, and then, obviously, Ethan Murray, um, who was – I failed to mention previously there. Um, everyday shortstop at Duke. Another Miller School product. Um, first team all. Um, freshman ACC. And he had a little scare the other night. Took a baseball to the face um, in the tournament. So we're not sure what his status is going to be. We're hoping that, you know, he, he sets foot in Waynesburg at some point, but obviously it won't be, um, it won't be too soon at least. But great kid um, living at home with his folks, and uh, we're looking forward to having those guys here in Waynesboro. I know you touched on how loyal the fan base and the team is around the community. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, this obviously tonight, Meet the Team Night, was one of those opportunities, but what are some other opportunities that fans will – have uh, to get engaged and be involved with this team in the community? Sure. Um, we do a lot of work in the community. Um, one of the kind of things we kind of hang our hat on, um, obviously we work at the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA here in Waynesboro directly, and then um, the Camp Light folks out in Waynesboro um, towards heading out towards Cremora area, they, uh, they provide us an opportunity to work with kids from all different backgrounds, whether they're foster kids, whether they have um, different levels of special needs, um, whatever the situation may be, our guys are out there two to three times a week. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that not only do these guys become better baseball players, they become better people here. And again, I think that leads to having success, success. And now you do have to find a happy medium and, you know, these guys getting rest and development and so forth. But, we feel pretty confident that we've been able to do that. And, uh, again, it's a really big part of our organization, and the people in our community love having those guys uh, um, a part of it. Uh, I, I wanted to say from a personal standpoint, I know I, I used to work at the Boys and Girls Club here in Waynesboro, and that always meant a lot that you guys volunteered those players and the players volunteered their time in the summers to spend time with the kids at the club and then always – helping to get some of those kids in your camps as well uh, during the summer. So uh, I wanted to thank you and the generals from, from a personal standpoint for that. And I know a, a lot of Valley league teams do stuff. Uh, I'm sure it's not just you guys that do stuff for boys and girls club and YMCA's in their communities, but I, I, you guys are one I interacted with personally. And that, that meant a lot that you guys did that. I want to take time to thank you for that. Um, we well, appreciate that. Yeah. I, we've already asked you the Disney and, uh, guilty pleasure song because we've had you on last year but so this year uh we'll ask you to close things out uh, who are who is a player that when you watch right now is your favorite major league baseball player 
Oh, Lord. I would have to say um, I'm a Cardinals fan, so it's going to have to be somebody within the Cardinals organization. I'm a big Yachty Molina fan, so I'd have to go that route, man. All right. Okay. That's respectable. One of the best catchers in the game. And then, um, so you've already told us you're a Cardinals fan. So now I'll have to switch the second question to what is one of your favorite baseball movies? I'm sorry. I lost you there. Yeah. What is one of your favorite baseball movies? Oh, I'd have to say Moneyball. It's kind of like living that job right now. All right. Well, thanks again, Tyler, and best of luck to the Generals in 2019. Thanks, guys. So great interviews there with uh, Cox and Hoffman there of the Braves and Generals, respectively. The Braves started out the season with a nice win on opening night. They beat um, 13-7. to They won that first night against Front Royal and uh, things were looking good for the Braves, but then they've, they've dropped two, and they're, they're bleeding runs. They're giving up a bunch of runs. Uh, even in the win, they gave up seven. They gave up six to Covington in the 6-3 loss, and then, man, Sunday night was tough, 18-4. to It was over early in that game. Uh, I didn't make it over there for that game, but my buddies did, and uh, the big draw to keep them there was the 50-50, so that's how bad Charlottesville was putting it on the Braves. But, uh, hey, it's early in the season, three games in. Um, you're still getting guys coming in town, so – uh, nothing to really worry about yet. You do want to see more out of your pitching staff, but uh, you also want to see who shows up from for your pitching staff from there too. But uh, hey, the generals looking good. Yeah, the generals are looking good. But I want to go back to talk about the Braves real quick. Their oh. win, right. even in the win, I was a little worried about the Braves because they started off way behind in that four, game. Four and they, down, yeah. Yeah, they came back to win that game. Um, but and I thought, okay, maybe Stanton's going to have something this year. It's still wait, as you said, it's the it's early. And three games is not a big enough sample size to judge what these teams are going to do or not do. Um, that being yeah, you're said, not playing 162, but you're still playing. Yeah, you're you playing know, 30, 40, 40 games, yeah. 42 regular season games, yeah. I believe it is. You so, go. you know, when you get to 10, I think you have a pretty good sample size. And then most of your players are in by that point that are going to be in. You might lose some actually after that yeah. point. So, um, but Waynesboro is off to a good start. They started off opening night. Uh, with a win against the Covington Lumberjacks, five to two, in a ball game that really showcased um, Nick Neville, South Carolina Gamecock from Fairfax, Virginia. He had a multi RBI night to bring home the Waynesboro win there. Then in the second game of the season, they took on the Harrisonburg Turks in Harrisonburg. Um, it was a game that was not impeded by weather that was in the area Saturday night. Uh, they went on to win six to one in a game that showcased a guy who is off to a hot start. He also played a role in the big win over Percival uh, last night. But Wes Clark, he's another guy from South Carolina University. Uh, he hit one out in the fourth inning against Harrisonburg. That kind of put them ahead. And then the game against Percival was 12 to four, where they just poured it on. They gave up three in the eighth. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty much all Waynesboro all the time. A five run fifth inning powering the Generals there. And again, it was another good game for Clark as he added three more RBIs. He's hitting 400 already here early on. Uh, he's off to a good start. He's got four hits, one single, one double, one triple, and one long ball. So a season cycle for him in the first three games. <laughs> the season cycle, the rarely talked about season cycle. <laughs> yeah. my, my little cheat sheet, though, for the VBL, I, I'm not saying this is just to a T and you get uh, – 
you know, talent levels from all over the place. But look at these teams with a bunch of SEC guys. And, you know, they're up against hard competition every year. Just look at the College World Series. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. A lot of SEC teams involved there. So you talk about a guy from South Carolina, not surprising he's coming in the BBL and producing. I mean, he's, he's playing at a high level all season, rolling that over. Um, you know, this SEC does really good. Amazing. So does the ACC. I'm, I'm not just discounting the ACC, but the SEC, I think, top to bottom, very strong. And, and it's the warm part of the country. Same as the Pac-10 also, or Pac-12 or what do they call it now? They have good baseball out there too. These warm places, they're they're good. Um, but that's something to watch as you go to these games during the summer. I, I will say this: I know we're focusing on Waynesboro, we're focusing on Stanton, um, both of those teams in the South. The one thing I will say in terms of, and uh, maybe I'll bring this to the Exports podcast every week, but maybe a you know a bright shining moment each week from another team. Woodstock. They only won five games all last year. They won two. They're two and zero. Coming into wow, good. going into tonight, um, they brought in Bocock, a new coach there. Um, yeah, so Stanton fans will remember him. Yeah, Valley Baseball League Hall of Famer. He's going to yep. Woodstock, and he's off to a two and zero start. I'm not sure how they're doing tonight. I believe their game tonight did not get rained out yet. Um, but S- success seems to follow Bocock. I mean, when he was at Stanton, when they were at their highest level uh, of recent memory, um, you know, he was good in Larray. Uh, he went to the Rockingham County League and, and produced good results there. And now he's back in the VBL. And and you know, maybe not. Don't call it a complete turnaround already at Woodstock, but a bright spot early for a team that saw you know no sun last year. Yeah, and I know you tweeted it uh, on our Yak Sports Twitter. I saw that. Uh, if you can't make it to these games, they are on Facebook Live. Yes. You should be watching them on there. Um, it is, for the most part, single camera shots. Yeah, but um, there's some a guy teams talking. have more than one. But yeah, there is a there is a commentary on there. Uh, a guy and it's, talking is what I call it. And there is a like, scoreboard on, on there. We do this on the radio every week in the fall and the winter, but I just call it a guy talking, yeah. Yeah, there's commentary is the correct <laughs> terminology. I like um, that they have the score on the screen at all times. I love that. Yeah, there is a scoreboard that stays fairly up to date. Um, some teams better at it than others. but uh, And I, I know they've gone through some good. technical difficulties here early on in the season, but I will say this in their defense. I, They talked about it today in a video. They want to know when there is technical difficulties. They want to know what game you're watching, what inning uh, it happened, yeah. so they can fix it, go back and fix it, and try to figure out what it was. And they also want you to do a speed test to tell them, you know, the – analytics of what you're dealing with there the diagnostics of what you're dealing with there um i i will say this i've used what they're using to do broadcasts it's very tough um yeah. it's not easy doing live stream broadcasts uh you might think you know well i watch games on tv all the time and there's no problems those are by mega um, media companies that have you know millions and millions of dollars that's not what we're working with here uh it, that's they're doing a good product. Uh, yeah. Just be patient with it while they get all the stuff sorted out. And uh, once they get that sorted out, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, very serviceable, especially if you're interested in Valley League but can't make it out to the game uh, for whatever reason. All Things Valley League, great blog. Yes, uh, to follow very along good. With good people there. Uh, they keep track of former Valley League athletes very well. I was going to say, John, yeah, John Leonard uh, yeah. is the guy who runs that. He's very busy tonight, I'm sure, keeping track of the MLB draft tracker, anybody that has yep. ever played a single pitch in the Valley <laughs> league that gets drafted, he will let you know about it. Uh, he is, yep. he is awesome at that. Uh, I've talked to him awesome. a few times. He's a great guy. And they do pictures throughout the season. A lot mm-hmm. of good stuff there. I follow that uh, blog for a long time now. Well, I'm, I'm probably touching on 12, 
15 years on that. I mean, it's been a long time that I've been reading his stuff. I think he took a little bit of a break in there, but he's back back at it, and it's been awesome. So uh, we highly recommend that uh, they're friends of the podcast, whether they know it or not. Uh, maybe we'll try to get them involved either here on – I don't know what your ideas are for, D, but somewhere along the line, if, if we can hear from them, that'd be great. Uh, really have to pr- uh, appreciate that they're giving you live video of these VBL games and also those sponsors. I know Sheets, Sheets is one of Subway, them. Subway, I believe. Yeah, good on those guys uh, putting money into that. So great. Um, it makes me want to get a Subway sub. I'll say that. So VBL, get out there and watch them. It's a great family atmosphere, especially at Stanton or Waynesboro. And when those two teams get together, it's always a fun night. So uh, I, I imagine you'll see Joe and I at some of those Stanton Waynesboro games this year. Yeah, probably. Women's World Cup kicks off this week. Uh, Sport of yeah, the Future, Sport of the Future, kicking off again this weekend. Uh, starting with the Women's World Cup, that's being played in France. Team USA has a great chance to defend their Women's World Cup title. That'd be four for them if they win another one. Mm-hmm. They'd have three. They won in 2015, which was last year or last time. The last happened, time they played. Last year, yeah, last World Cup. 99 and 91. So yeah, we're definitely rooting for USA here, obviously. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have a good shot. And unlike the men last year that weren't even in the tournament um, and other years when the men have no chance, the women are a good team. No matter what, they're going to play a role in this World Cup. So it's fun to watch. And uh, oh, they're coming out of the group go, for sure. Let's say Thailand, Chile, and Sweden uh in that order they play thailand tuesday at three o'clock eastern it's a week from tuesday you, you'll hear from us again before yes USA june plays. 11th sorry yeah but the um, world cup does get started on friday and i i'm one of those kind of people that just if world cup's on it's on the tv like it, yeah. it just stays on watch as much as we can um they'll play chile in their second game and then sweden to close out the group sweden by far their toughest game of the group uh, it's a team that knocked them out in the olympics um the last time they played uh Sweden, that was a very dark, dark moment. But um, <laughs> we're not going to worry about that because we're going to beat them this time because we're the United States of America. Yeah, we are. A lot of good players, and I like this. A lot of the stars are back. I mean, that's what's fun about this. Is the last go around for a lot of these players, though? So it's important that they win. Like Rapino, and was Lloyd still on there? Uh, Alex Morgan doesn't have too many more if she has any more. She's after got this. another one. Mm. But some of those younger ones, there's a younger ones. There's I, a I young stable I'm, behind her that is going to push her out, I think. Alex Morgan's not as young as you think. We're going to see two or three stars kind of develop that we'll be watching, um, and they'll be part of the next generation. That's that's how the World Cup soccer works. They she come might up be on the team years. next go-round, but she's going to play a secondary role. I, 34-year-old soccer players are, and you know, she's even... 34? She will be the next one. I, uh, she's pretty huh? close to 30 if she's not 30 yet, I believe. I'm going to have to look that up to be sure, maybe, but uh, she is... You don't see a lot of soccer players over the 30s in the international level. Hey, man, you're into soccer. She's a good-looking girl. While you're looking her up, why don't you look up some stuff to talk to her about? She's she's married. Take a shot. Oh, is she? I don't know. See, I don't know this. <laughs> so am I, so I don't know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Leland, for that. Um <laughs> That'll do it. Horse racing. The horses are going to run around. The oh, track. at the Belmont. Um, I don't know who to tell you to pick in this one. Just don't pick War you of Will. Us on for this one too? No, New York, New York is the worst of the three by far. <laughs> it's one of the, my least favorite state songs. Um, I, I haven't looked at all 50, so I can't really give you a number. But um, War, War of Will, Will, Will it will not win the Belmont. It barely held on in the Preakness, in my opinion, um, coming on a little late. But I don't think that I don't think War of Will could have held on uh, if that race 
kept going. The Belmont is the longest of the Triple Crown, uh, and War of Will is not built for that. I don't think War of Will has a chance. All right, I need you to predict. These last two races, we saw a disqualification or whatever Mm -hmm. that had never happened before. In the Preakness, it's probably nothing that's never happened before, but there was a you know a horse a jockeyless horse running around the track and, and beating people. What is the oddity that's going to happen in this? The unpredictable oddity. Predict it. That the announcers love New York, New York, and Mike Tirico says it's a beautiful rendition. I'm gonna say we're gonna see a horse jump a fence. No, my gosh, let's from really, really hope not. Let's really, really, really hope not. Like an not. infield fence. Where let's like really, no really hurt. hope not. <laughs> there are people in the infield, I promise you. Let's really, really hope not. I, we've been seeing something crazy every race. I, I want to know what it's going to be. I don't want to see anything that's going to hurt a horse or people. Oh, I don't want to see any people, any people get hurt. These horses... I'm not going to worry too much. These horses get turned into glue pretty quick. What, whatever happens. Oh, what my gosh. We that is so not true. That is so what happened to that horse? not that true. Horse they invest so much money into these living? horses. That is the biggest lie in horse racing, that these is horses that are horse somehow lie? mistreated. These horses is are horse used alive? in breeding. I want to see that horse. This is a hostage situation. you got to show me the horse for me to believe he's alive. Which one? The one that it wasn't justified. The one from the first week, everybody was that one that the favorite that maximum one security. That they're gonna breed. Next they're gonna use maximum security to breed the next racehorse. See that he's alive. They've extracted oh, his uh, ability to make more horses, and that horse is not walking this earth. No, that is so not true. That horse is gonna live out its days. It's probably gonna compete in the Breeders' Cup. I'm gonna have to see that horse to believe it. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, there is just the that's the most baseless and reckless accusation <laughs> in the history of the Exports podcast. No, the you heard it podcast. But from Leland McRae, I didn't think that would be taken away from me, but Leland McRae just went out on that limb. So I want to personally congratulate Leland. Um, as a person who loves horse racing, Bob Baffert, I would never make a crazy accusation like that about horse racing. Um, I love horse racing. Yeah, wow. Show me the horse or give me the bottle. One of the two. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> hey, it was a baseless <laughs> accusation made on the Experts podcast. It's the worst on sports media since this morning when ESPN played first take. Everything they said in that hour probably was worse than that. I didn't watch it, but that's a fair statement. Oh, I'm sure. I have no I don't. I haven't watched Stephen Smith, Steve Smith talking years. Stephen it, no A. matter Smith. what, they said worse. Stephen A. Smith, they said worse things this morning, no doubt, than what I just said. Let's go to the D block. All right, the D block here on the Exports Podcast, where we sometimes venture outside of sports. We're going to stay within the realm of what's covered on ESPN and uh, such channels with what we're getting here, because they talk about Jeopardy on uh, on ESPN. At least guys on Twitter do. Uh, Jeopardy, our boy James, the one I was rooting for, the one you were rooting <laughs> I against. I don't know what about our boy. He's your Joe, boy. Joe, you got your way. I he did. Lost tonight. Delicious. He lost tonight, and it was a battle. It wasn't that he fell apart. It wasn't that um, – uh, 
he didn't miss some big daily double or anything like that. Other player was just really strong. And we've seen other players against James in this run be strong and battle him. It's just he made it out on top. And this time he didn't. And uh, Emma, I think was her name. Uh, she she was a she made it happen. She did well at bidding on her daily doubles. She got the first daily double in double jeopardy. And I think it was like 10 grand she put on it and she got it. And that's really when the momentum was just in her favor. She got the second one and that was more of a defensive get than anything. She didn't bet big money on it, but at least James didn't get it. And James needed that daily double. And that's just being in control of the board to select that. And the crowd got behind her. Didn't they? Yeah. And she, she rode the momentum and went and uh, in final jeopardy, uh, they all got it right. Um, I was surprised with James wager because what he bid wasn't even enough to beat her if she bid zero dollars, which surprised me. But she put a hefty bet on it. She got it right. She took home 50 some thousand dollars. So that's great. Um, and she'll move on as the champion. And that's how the game works. But you can't ignore what James was able to accomplish. About two and a half million dollars, a streak of 32 episodes somewhere in there. He didn't make it the money. Uh, record that we all just assumed he was going to make because he was going at such a pace. But that pace is really, it's commendable. It sets a top on its own. He he has the top 10 single day amounts. He set the, he nearly doubled the single day record from what it was at 77 to 130 some. And uh, he averaged about that, that old record. So um he's it's worth saying positive words about him. He was on a heck of a run. I'm sorry to see it's over. I'm sure everybody at jeopardy and all the sponsors are sorry to see it's over, but um, you know, we'll see what he's able to do when he comes back for those all-star tournaments. It'll be fun to see him up against people like Ken Jennings and other people that were really good at the game and see how his strategy is, has gone up against against the other greats. But now we, uh, we watch the new champion and that's, that's how the game works. Yeah. He was, I think it was 30,000 shy. So it wasn't, it was probably like one more episode for him. Um, I think it there. was I think he was 60,000 when he started the episode today. He was like 60,000 yeah. shy and I thought, thought on Twitter or ESPN or somebody put 30,000. Now ESPN's wrong if that's true because if he started 60,000 because there's no way they gave the second place person $30,000. No, so do not give him grand. that much. So he ESPN would be second wrong. Second place which, gets 2 grand. No surprise he didn't fact check it. Um but <laughs> I thought that's what Trebek said at the beginning of the episode. That's all yeah. that's all I'm going to say. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um I did see where James had a funny tweet about it after the episode aired saying, I knew I shouldn't have let Drake into the studio for that taping. Um, (laughs) That made me laugh. Um, But yeah, I'm glad to see he lost. Our episode's coming full circle. Yeah. I'm glad to see he lost. Uh, I, he's also was like, Hey, Ken Jennings, uh, if they, if Jeopardy gives me a second chance, 30 rounds, then, then I'm coming after you, like making fun of like how far away he was from Ken Jennings, which, you know, that was his humor. I appreciate that. It's acknowledging Ken Jennings is still sitting on top for money and episodes in a row. Uh, but his pace sits by itself. Yeah. And, and I think every Ken Jennings and anybody else would recognize that. So it'll be fun to see those all-star tournaments when they set those up. Uh, Jeopardy's going to want the money, so they'll they'll get them out there. Um, but, hey, we move on and uh, we move on. Uh, moving on to what is dominating my life for the last weekend for a little bit. It is Liverpool. Um, Leland, you came over with Ron to watch uh, the soccer in the Champions League final. My brother and a friend of mine came over as well. Um, the friend of mine was more in the camp that you were. He doesn't really follow soccer. Uh, he was rooting for Liverpool for the sake of 
everyone else in Not the room. Not being shot by Joe. And yeah, party. everyone else in the room rooting for <laughs> Liverpool as well. Um, the game itself uh, was not the best soccer game ever played. Um, Liverpool won. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Uh, they got a handball in the first minute or two of the, of the match. And Mo Salah went with power, drove it right past the keeper into the net. And then Liverpool kind of just held on. Um, they were the, I, they I had have, the better. I have to say, yeah, go I ahead. was happy for the early goal. Cause I was, I was worried about some, some unruly behavior out of you uh, in this. And, and so the early goal, I think, really helped diffuse tension. I'm not saying there wasn't tension after that, but I think I, I can imagine unruly. you being worse. I've, I've audibly heard you be worse of a fan. I've seen you more celebratory at moments in the press box or at, at the press table, especially at JMU, uh, calling some high school games, where you've shown more emotion than I saw you show throughout the rest of that game. You had a great Until the there. second goal. And the second goal. But I, I was really worried about some negative, unruly behavior if this game was 0-0 late. And so I was happy to see the early goal to kind of put a positive spin. Um, what I was really worried about was two goals from the other team and uh, and maybe... It wouldn't have been unruly. It would have just been dark. <laughs> it wouldn't have been unruly because you've broken the light fixtures. No, I don't get that mad watching my teams. I mean, I get mad, but I don't get like destructive, angry. I, I'm not that kind of fan. I, I just will never. I've never understood that. Um, I've I been upset. Have to burn the couch after the after the game. I was wondering what to what lengths we had to celebrate. No. Um, but <laughs> Liverpool held on. We have the better defenders, so we just. We did what we could do. I mean, we we had the ability to sit back and let Tottenham come at us. Tottenham didn't do a very good job of it. Their strikers were not on point. Um, there near the end, they started to get a few opportunities, but that left them open to the counter. Um, the ball popped out to a Riggy, I think, in the 87th minute, who netted the second goal. And at that point, uh, there was a loud scream in the apartment from someone in Everybody the apartment. Could hear, even people in the bathroom could could audibly hear. Yeah, what I, I can't tell you where that sound came from um but someone in the apartment started to make a lot of noise uh and that was kind of the end tottenham had no chance at that point liverpool holds on to win it's their sixth european championship uh it's the first for jurgen klopp he had lost six straight finals before that he had won finals before but he had lost in six straight finals this gives him a win now his first title at liverpool Uh, it's not the premier league because liverpool hasn't won the premier league going on 30 years now um but this will do um, this team was really special. Uh, it was a great team. It makes that Barcelona win in the semifinals, that comeback, even more special uh, because we won the Champions League. We went on to win. We were better than Tottenham. Uh, I think we were 20-something points better than them in the league, so that's we're just better than them. Uh, and in that and, game, you were clearly better, too. I mean, Yeah, we're the better team. We won. Uh, we kind of... <laughs> I didn't feel... There were a couple moments where I thought Tottenham might be getting ready for an equalizer, um, but then our back line stepped in. Uh, they were amazing. I was really proud of the effort from Liverpool. Their fans today had a parade, uh, not today, uh, yesterday, uh, and it was 750,000 people at this parade wow. uh, in a city that has a population of 500,000. So wow. 250,000 people more than the population of the city show up into the city. It was crazy. There's smoke bombs being set off everywhere as the team parades around and just eats up the atmosphere. They talked to Virgil van Dyke, who's uh, the chief defender 
on the back line. He's a center back, uh, probably the best defender in the world. Um, he's up for best player in the world, which is almost unheard of from a defender position. I don't even know if a defender's ever won the best player in the world award, which is called the Ballon d'Or, by the way. But um, they asked him why he chose Liverpool, and he said, these fans, um, these are real fans. They love football. They love the club, and this atmosphere is great. It was awesome. I'm glad you and Rob were able to be there. Uh, my brother and our yeah, uh, the friend of mine. Um, I had a good time with you guys. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, it was great that Liverpool won, and it was even better to share that with uh, so many friends in attendance at uh, the apartment. Um, Robert Morris, um, I'm glad they got to, you know, maybe someone peek in the window through the slits and get to see a little bit of it. Um, but, yeah, it was great they're, for Liverpool. They're busy scheduling football games. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. They're going to get trucked by JMU again. Um, but, yeah. Uh, it was a great win for Liverpool. I'm so happy. I'm already looking forward to next season. I think this is going to be a very special team for at least three or four more years. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, and yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting us. And uh, they make it to the championship again. We'll have to come. Oh, definitely. Um, moving on. My to, cream sodas might still be sitting there then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mentioned to I uh, meant to say something about that um, afterwards, but I wasn't going to say it until you just brought it up. But yeah, you got some stuff in the fridge. Um, what I know that you need to know, the NBA, uh, Adam Silver mentioned that the NBA, speaking of soccer, is looking like at a couple midseason tournament formats. Um, All right, what you got? Well, one midseason tournament format, I guess, and then the other one's a late season tournament format. All right, um, throw them at me. So it's similar to the FA Cup in soccer, which is basically... That means nothing to me, so explain it. The FA Cup is more <laughs> extensive than what this would be. The FA Cup is having every soccer club in the football association, which involves four different tiers and they play a tournament single elimination all the way down until there is one that championships played at the end of the year, right after the premier league season ends, this would be just NBA teams. So it's an NBA mid season tournament. That's played single elimination gets whittled all the way down until you have one champion. I know what you're thinking. Well, we have a regular season for that. It's a little different. Um, the Golden State Warriors might get knocked out in the first round. They might lose the very first game of this tournament to the Sacramento Kings because the Sacramento Kings get hot one night and the Golden State Warriors have the worst game of their life. And Golden State's knocked out right away. Um, so then it, it, it gives some of these teams that have no prayer of winning the NBA championship something to shoot for. Just get hot. Yeah. Just rattle off four wins somewhere in the season at the right time and you could win the league or the yeah, and they're saying, and they're saying it ends mid season. I'm for this. And they're I think saying it's like great. you played, you play these on like Tuesday nights in the first half of the season. Hey, if that gives me a reason, especially before the all-star break, maybe not in November or December, am I going to care? But as this thing closes down towards the championship, if that has me turn on the TV to NBA on a Tuesday night, that's a win for the league. Cause I'm not doing that now. And I'm a sports fan, and I'm I'm the kind of guy they want watching, and I'm not turning on the NBA on Tuesdays. I just don't. So I think it's a great thing. I like it. it they would have to probably trim the season down a few games for each team. But the way okay. they balance it out for the owners is this is ways to, like you said, this is ways to get people in on a Tuesday night that they normally wouldn't. More ad and it's money a separate on TV deal. Yep, and it's more ad money. So I think that balances yeah. out. I think as long as the owners look at it, and at the end of the day they're not losing money, they're going to be all for it. They might yeah. come out in the positive, depending on how successful this is. I hope they do it. I hope it's a huge success, and I want other sports to look at it too, Major League Baseball in particular. Football can't. I don't think hockey can. Um, but 
So what do you have like baseball like on Mondays? Mondays and Thursdays are the off days for baseball. You what do you have like Mondays is a tournament? Yeah, day just a single elimination and they, thing they too. Fly in for a game somewhere. I mean that's not a lot of travel. I I don't know about for baseball. Just a single but I elimination like it for thing. NBA. Uh, you yeah, it's no more travel than it would be for the NBA. I mean, you uh, the back to back travel. You're you're going to create situations in baseball. I don't want to. I don't want to analyze how this affects. Again, baseball is going to have to trim down their season. So what you do is you carve three days off somewhere for parts of the for a part of the season. Let's say the beginning of the season because there's a lot of rainouts at the beginning of the season, and you just carve out three days. You play them through, and then hey, guess what? Later in the season, when you have that three days carved out, that's where you put the makeup games. Yeah, maybe so. I'd be interested to see how that goes, but I like it for the NBA. And uh, what's the other thing that they're talking about? There's not a playoff one. I don't like that one as much. Um, that would involve like t- seven through ten. So it would be a couple one-game playoffs to determine who goes into the seven and eight slots. Um, I have no problem with that. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. We already have too many teams that don't deserve to be in the playoffs playing. I don't like the idea of expanding it. But it's only a one-game playoff. But that, it's dumb. That 10th place team but could then be in a series. But it would make you more excited about the NBA playoffs potentially no. in, at April that you're not right now. I would not be excited for the Wizards to maybe win a game to then get sacrificed by the Toronto Raptors or the Philadelphia. So you're not rooting for the rep. So when the war, so when they're sitting at nine or 10, you're not rooting for them to make the playoffs. Not really. I don't care because it doesn't matter. Uh, Congratulations. We made the eight seed. So we kicked ourselves out of the lottery to get sacrificed in the first round. See, that's my thing. If you're not in the lottery, you might as well have a chance to make a playoff series. And I, like and then uh, don't tell me the lottery starts at or is fourteen and down. Like that's the lottery is the top eight picks. Like after that, you're you're not necessarily getting a franchise changing player or even hoping for that. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, it's a little. I think that's such a minute little change too. That yeah. too many teams make this playoff anyway. How many teams are in the NBA, Leland? Twenty eight. Okay, so sixteen make it now. So 30, we want to make it. We want to make it twenty teams. But it's one game. It's not another week of those teams. It's one more game of those teams. What a competition that is. 20 of 28 teams make the playoffs. Get excited, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have those two, those four games happening on Saturday, Sunday, the first weekend of the playoffs, and you're going to have a lot more hype there than you will for the Warriors versus the eight seed. Then you start those playoffs in the middle of the next week. They might as well just make basketball a tournament sport and just get rid of the regular season at that point because what's the point of it? So if almost football, everyone makes the playoffs that's what college football is that you want to change to put more playoff teams. That's what college football is. When you lose in September, it matters. Oh my and it matters less golly. and less and less. We this are talking about apples and oranges here. Argument. No, we're talking about eliminating 110 teams. We're talking about eliminating half the country before the season even starts from a national championship in college football. That's the system we're set up in. And yeah, I want to change the system. I, so in one sport, you want less playoffs and turn it into a tournament only, and then take the, then take the one sport, the one sport that we commonly watch that is the closest to that, where a loss in October can knock you out. And you know, unless your name's Alabama or Ohio state or Michigan or Auburn, 
you know, unless you're a blue blood program or Notre Dame, because then the rules don't apply to you because you're big and bad and, you know, we'll bend the rules for you. Yeah, I do yeah, want to change that sport. I want to make it fair. Less or just a tournament atmosphere for basketball is going to somehow create a better chance for Sacramento. They're just going to be even more. No one's ever going to even see them play or hear from them. And it's more less revenue for the NBA. Team. I so just think it's totally that? ridiculous. You're talking about expanding it to like 60% of the league or 70% of the league makes the playoffs. I, I think I'm it's talking a, it's about a, it's a not even different. 10% of the country makes the playoffs. If a 16 team college football playoff happens. It's a one game playoff to go into a seven game series. It's not a seven game series to go. It's into the a playoffs. Is it not? It is. I'll take it. It's a, it's a more no. exciting playoffs than what we'd get out of the first round. No, we might get a five seed beating a four seed in the playoffs and that's it. It depends if LeBron's Cavaliers are a six seed or not. Uh, you're so wrong. On have this. That I mean, it's just a fact. And the fact that you brought up college football is embarrassing for you. And I'm sorry. Bull. Bull. Uh, 10% the of the country, less than 10% of the country's college football programs make the playoffs if they expanded to 16 like I want. 75% of the NBA makes it in your expanded thing. The reason I really don't care about Central Florida and if they could win a national championship or not, because not everybody is just going to have a chance to win a championship. And that brings me to what you need to know. The spelling bee was on last week. That competition completed with eight teams, hold, eight teams, eight kids. students, kids, children, who none of my problem with this is going to be their fault. Eight kids holding up a trophy. No one won that thing. They say eight kids <laughs> won that thing, but when eight people win something, nobody wins something. I mean, this, this is, I don't understand how they could have this problem. Eight kids winning this thing. I didn't like it when two kids won it, but they I ran said, out okay, of words. this is a weird thing. They'll get it figured out. I don't pay attention to spelling bee until it's actually on in front of my face. So they'll get this figured out. No, instead, they just stick with the same rules where you only have 20 rounds. We don't care what happens. These kids are preparing better and better than they ever have before. They have so much more resources and years past of competition to study that they're just getting better and better at this. And now we have eight winners. And I'm not going to call them winners. These are eight great kids. Hey, congratulations for them achieving the goal that they want to achieve. But the goal is not what it used to be anymore because it used to be one kid holding up that trophy. And that and the competition was difficult enough to challenge them to provide one winner. And eight kids finishing that thing in the number one spot is ridiculous. And it's not what competition is. I don't care if you're hitting a ball you're spelling words or you're drinking sodas. If you're having a competition, you don't have eight winners. Okay. Um, I'm going to unpack a lot there. I don't disagree with your overall point. Um, you brought UCF into this, so I'm just glad that they let the kids from Orlando compete in the Scripps National Spelling Bee and don't look at just certain parts of the country and say, mm, sorry, your school district's not big enough, so we don't actually care if you have a you kid that can spell. You think none of that happens? You think everywhere in America, there's every kid has the opportunity Oh, absolutely. This. They have school spelling bees, and they have county spelling bees, and they have you know region Does spelling bees, and they have state the spelling bees, and they have the national spelling bees. Does every private school kid get the equal opportunity? Does every private school kid get the same opportunity? I don't How know do about private schools. It might be just be public schools. I don't know. But every school has so the why opportunity. Are they, why are they keeping the private schools out? Because they're not a public school, and this might be a public school competition. I don't know. 
Well, big boy football has a big boy competition at the end of the year. And they award Alabama the championship. Because <laughs> they're scared to play somebody just outside the big boy competition because they're scared they might lose and maybe get exposed a little bit. But anyway, back to the main point of the spelling bee. I know you don't like Dan Levitard uh, and his radio show. Um, the radio show has grown on me. I still don't like the TV show that he has. But the radio show has grown on me. They talked about this. Um, the one actual idea that I think they could actually implement, at a certain point in the competition, they're not allowed to ask for the country of origin. And they're not allowed to ask for it to be used in a sentence. limiting questions. Yeah. They're not allowed to ask for it to be used in a sentence. They had some crazy, they had some crazy and some funny ones like find out what the kids' biggest fears are and then (laughs) expose them to that while they're trying to spell the word. Um, In which case, Dan brought up a good point. What if one is an alligator? Are you saying bring out an alligator and the kid possibly gets eaten? He goes, hey, if we're going to crown a spelling bee champion, maybe occasionally a kid gets eaten out by an alligator. <laughs> Obviously a joke. Um, but yeah, I do think the one thing they said of limiting the questions that the kids are allowed to ask at a certain point, just say, you got to spell it. Um, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. I think most of the time that's just a stall tactic anyway. I think they already know where the country of origin is. I think they already know how to use it in a sentence. I think they already know the definition. I think they're just trying to stall to buy themselves more time for them to spell it in their heads anyway. These kids are brainiacs. Um, The other thing that was brought up on that radio show, which is a great point, uh, the winner gets $50,000. All eight of these kids got $50,000. So that means Scripps has been sitting on $400,000 every year (laughs) that they have been willing to give out and just haven't. (laughs) I imagine they pull the money from somewhere or there's some kind of insurance policy that was protecting them on that. Um, but hey, they're getting primetime media money, uh, ad money. The money's there. Yeah, They're not limited to $50,000, so that's not a problem for me. I, I just don't, I mean, we can try to turn this into other points just on its surface. Just fix it. Guys. Yeah, I don't fix have it. eight winners. I agree just with you. Just don't have there. eight winners and, and just keep going or limit the questions or shorten the time that you have to do it in or some, some version of this and get to a winner and don't have the same problem again. I will all survive. This is not the worst thing in the world, but we just, we can't yeah. promote these competitions for our youth where eight people win. There needs to be a winner and the seven other kids can lose. We'll, we'll be okay. It'll be okay. And um, don't set up the rules to limit yourself to, to eight to 20 rounds or whatever it is. It's just, it's just useless. I want to do, I, while we're here, my favorite was that girl and it might've been late nineties, early two thousands where she knew the word as soon as they said it. And she just started screaming the letters. She's like, J O E. I mean, it was perfect. That was my favorite winner of all time on the spelling bee. And that's me. I, I can't say I've watched it every year recently. I, can't I used say to I've though. Watched it. I used to watch it. I, I remember it was late in the school year to be on the TV. I remember watching it and Karen, I even within the last 10 years, I've watched some spelling bee, but the last six, I probably haven't. I don't know what happened these last six years. Something, something changed. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really watched the spelling bee. I do think eight people winning is ridiculous, but yeah, that's about where my opinion ends on it. And I don't, it's not going to keep me up at night. So until next week, folks, we hope you enjoy the Yak Sports podcast where we won't criticize eight kids winning a competition next week, hopefully. Um, but again, but we'll we be back won't criticize with... the college football playoff. Oh, that'll be a lifelong <laughs> mission until they finally get it right. But the NCAA I just is crooked. Re- establish what do you think is right? I think each conference champion and six at large bids. So you're that's the 
that's the 16. Yeah. I, just, I don't like 16. All right, get out of here. Um, that'll end it for us this week. Again, Joe was right on the college football debate. Leland still has to come a long way, but we got him here on soccer. I'm sure we can convince him of this eventually in time as well. <laughs> God, I'm here on soccer. I'll see you a year from now, only if Liverpool's in it. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> he says that, but he'll be watching the Women's World Cup this weekend, folks. Hey, I'm um, a World Cup watcher. Again, we'll be talking about the teams in our area, Ari Lee, boys soccer, Stewart's Draft, girls soccer, and baseball, Riverheads, baseball, softball, and girls tennis. We'll be talking about how those teams fared this week. Hopefully, those teams are talking about state championships, and we'll be able to celebrate those with them here on the Yak Sports Podcast. We'll also be talking more Valley League next week and even more in the Augusta County area. We hope you enjoyed this week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, on Facebook, Yak Sports Podcast. And we are on t- Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, all those great podcasts, Podbean app. Uh, make sure you subscribe and don't miss another episode. Until next week, folks, thanks and good night. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.